Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, I don't know how many of you are students of advertising, but you're exposed to advertising, right? We're all exposed to advertising all the time, all the places. And they spend an awful lot of money trying to figure out uh, how to say things to you, things that are going to get you to pay attention a certain way or feel certain things, right? Well, it seems like in the last very few years here, they have latched on to a word that they really, really like in their ads. And that word is bold. Okay, some form of bold, because we've been talking about boldness, and we're going to continue to do that this morning. But it's interesting. So here's some things that are bold, in case you were wondering. In, in 2015, the Toyota was advertised as the bold new Camry. I mean, you know, it doesn't do a thing. It just sits there, right? Unless you get in and make it do something. But it's bold. Zales Jewelry challenged people to declare your love boldly. That makes sense, doesn't it? Declare your love boldly. To do it is buying this celebration diamond that shines bigger and bolder. The diamond shines bolder. If you want to live, it's the quote, if you want to live a big, bold, flavor-filled life, eat Texas toast croutons. <laughs> I mean, that's, man... I tell you what, if you if you got to eat croutons to have a big, bold life, you know, you're probably in trouble. Uh, then Oscar Mayer, they have this a line called Deli Fresh Bold Cold Cuts. How can bologna be bold? <laughs> right? And then finally, the bold look of Kohler. You know what Kohler makes, right? Faucets. For the bathrooms and kitchens. I mean, that last time you walked into someone's bathroom and you went, oh, now that's bold. <laughs> right? So uh, that's what's going on in the advertising world with the idea of bold. We've been looking at Christian boldness in the book of Acts, uh, looking at the stories of Paul. And so let's just do a quick review of Paul, his life. Uh, you remember he was a, a, a very zealous uh, Jewish man, uh, zealous to the point of he got involved with persecuting Christians, ha- having them thrown into jail, uh, killing some of them, having some of them killed. And so he, he did that. And, and yet God, like all of us, God was, wanted to reach him. And Paul was so strong in what he was doing that God had to temporarily blind him to get his attention Got his attention long enough, Paul gets saved. Well, almost immediately he takes all of this knowledge that he already had about the Old Testament scriptures and now he sees that they were really about Jesus and he begins boldly preaching about Jesus, sharing, telling people about Christ. And so much so that the city he was in at the time, Damascus, that became such an uproar that the the, uh, people who were opposed to Christianity plotted to kill him. And, and uh, thankfully, he found out about that plot, but the way he escaped, they had to actually let him out a window in the wall of the city in a basket and lower him by a rope so he could get away. And then he went to Jerusalem, 
and got connected with the apostles there. And next thing you know, what's he doing? He's telling people about the Lord, telling people about Jesus, and doing a really good job of it, so much so that the religious leaders there who were opposed to Christianity plotted to kill him. Now, I, I don't know about you, have you, as far as you know, have you had very many death plots against you? You know, not that we know of, right? <laughs> Uh, but Paul, it seemed to be a regular occurrence with him because he was so bold in his presentation of Christ. And God was using this great way. So there he's in Jerusalem. And, and they, what they do is they had to uh, hurriedly send him away. And they sent him, this time they sent him over 300 miles away to his hometown to hide him away for him to be saved. Well, then a few years later, you know, we read the story, we got into Acts chapter 11 of how the gospel went to the Gentiles. We have the city of Antioch, Antioch in Syria, and how they had preached the gospel to the Gentiles there, and they had gotten saved, and this church was booming, and Barnabas went to Tarsus and found Paul and brought him to Antioch because he, he knew this man and his ministry. So he came and it says that he, you know, he taught. He was bold in his preaching, teaching, and many, many people became followers of Christ there, not just followers of Christ, followers of Christ in such a way that it was there in that area that they first started to call believers Christians because the connection was so clear between these people and Christ. And so we, this is where we started our study of, of uh, Paul and this idea of boldness a few weeks ago. And so we remember we saw that now he's a leader in the church there in Antioch. But the Holy Spirit says what? I want, I want Paul and I want Barnabas, I want them to go out and preach the gospel. And it says they went. They didn't, God didn't tell them where to go, but they got up and headed out. They, that was a bold step, wasn't it? Very bold step. Okay, the Holy Spirit says go, let's go. And Paul goes out and does that. And then last week we saw how he went to um, a city and preached the gospel. It actually was another Antioch, Antioch in Pisidia. Many people were getting saved. Remember the Gentiles were so excited about it and the, the Jewish religious leaders who weren't interested in Christianity became really upset and they stirred up trouble so much so that, that Paul and Barnabas get kicked out. Not just of the city but of the region. Get out of here. Uh, officially kicked out. And they did something bold. Remember what it says they did? They, they shook the dust off their feet. Remember? Said, okay, you don't want it? We're going on. And it says they, had, they were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. And they went to the next city to continue. Now, do you see some boldness here? The Apostle Paul and his companions, they were bold in their Christianity. And that's where our story picks up here again today. So let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 14. If you don't have a Bible with you today, we encourage you to pick up one under the chairs there and to follow along. We're going to be on page 1272. I'll help you find it there, page 1272. Acts chapter 14. Let's begin reading here. <clears throat> now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews. This is the next city, okay? They went together 
to the synagogue of the Jews. Again, remember they went to the Jewish people first because the Jewish people believed in the Old Testament scriptures. The Jewish people already believed in God. They believed that there was a Messiah coming. And so it's a built-in audience for Paul to go and say, he's come, the Messiah's come, his name is Jesus. And then explain to them what God was doing. So they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks believed. And this, this word Greek is often used interchangeably for Gentiles, okay, these were Greek-speaking people, they were not Jewish people. And so we have both Jewish people believing and Gentiles believing. Verse two, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles. And not, not just the ones who were believing, but the ones outside who were uh, maybe in charge of the city, the, the chief people in the city, the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. By the way, you know, that is how Satan works so often. He wants to poison people's minds. Do you remember what Jesus said about him? He said that he is two things. He says he's a liar and a murderer from the beginning. From the very beginning, he deceived Eve, right? He's a liar, he's deceptive. And his goal was to rob them of life, which happened. They died spiritually. That's what the gospel's about, isn't it? That every one of us are dead spiritually. And this is why Jesus came into the world, that to die and pay the penalty for our sins and rise again from the dead so that we might be forgiven and no longer be dead spiritually, but made alive spiritually. But so we see that the enemy is behind this because he's poisoning their minds. He is deceiving them. And so he gets them all stirred up. Nonetheless, look what's going on. There, verse three, therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So they were working miracles. But the opposition comes and what's their response? They stay and they speak boldly. But there's always this dissension going on. There's always the potential of, you know, of something bad is going to happen here. But they continue to uh, minister. Verse four, but the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jew, uh, Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaona and to the surrounding region. So, I mean, it's interesting how the Bible sometimes just uses a few words to say something. But if there was violent opposition, what does that look like? I mean, think on the news, right? Have you ever seen any violent opposition to something on the news? And what's that? That's the way it would have been here. And, and so finally they became, you know what, we gotta go. And it says they fled. What, and it didn't say they, they, they wandered off down the road, does it? They fled. What does that tell you? This is serious, man. They gotta get out of there and they gotta get out of there now, okay? So what do they do? Verse seven, and they were preaching the gospel there to the next place. So... Something that to me has just become so clear as we've looked through these chapters and as we've got a few more to go, uh, that's this, that our mission requires boldness. Our mission requires boldness. Can you see it? it what if Paul and Barnabas had not been bold? 
They'd have thrown in the towel a long time ago, wouldn't they? Said, ah, this this can't be right. This is what God wanted, you know. But they weren't. They were bold. And that was the only way they could stay on the mission, is to be bold. Our mission requires boldness. Let's continue. Verse 8. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet, and that's just a way of saying that he was crippled, right? He was lame. He couldn't stand up. Without strength in his feet was sitting a cripple from his mother's womb. He was born this way, who who had never walked. This man heard Paul speaking. Paul, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, stand up straight on your feet. And he did better than that. He did what? He leaped up and walked. This is a, you know, a very powerful miracle that God enabled Paul to do. Let's see what the response is. Verse 11, now when the people saw what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in the Lycaonian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Because what did they rightly recognize? Can people in their own strength heal a man like this? No, this is supernatural, okay? And they immediately attribute it to their understanding of their gods. Now, it says that they said it in the Lycaonian language. And the reason that's important is because Paul and Barnabas didn't speak Lycaonian. They didn't know what they were saying at this point. They had, no one had explained it to them yet. All they hear is they're all excited and speaking in their, their language. But what they're thinking is that Paul and Barnabas are what? Gods, that's right. Verse 12, and Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. Um, So Zeus was be like the top god over all the other gods, and they said that was like Barnabas, and and Paul Hermes was the messenger god. He was the one who, who proclaimed the words of the top god, and so Paul was the primary speaker here, and so they called him Hermes. Verse 13, then the priest of Zeus, whose temple was in front of their city. In other words, this city is like devoted to the worship of Zeus. Uh, whose temple was in the front of their city brought oxen and garlands to the gates intending to sacrifice with the multitudes. Now, as we read on down the story, we find a little bit later, they were planning to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas to worship them because these guys must be gods. Now, Paul and Barnabas, what was their original religious persuasion? Jewish. How do Jewish people feel about worshiping false gods? I mean, it was, it was terrible. You just, that's why they didn't even like Gentiles, because they, did. they didn't want anything to do with it. Well, now here on all, are these guys worshiping false gods, they think you're the false god, you're the god, and they're going to worship you. And so that is not a good thing at all, and it's, it's totally contrary to the truth. Verse 14, but when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard this, so somehow or other, somebody at some point who knew, could understand and talk, uh, probably Greek, explained to them what was happening. When they heard this, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude. Different culture, huh? Maybe some of you, I don't know if anybody here ever done that, got so upset you just ripped your clothes off. 
But that's what they did. They'd tear them, and whether they actually tore, they ripped I don't know. But it was very much an expression of, this is not good. This is really bad. And so Paul and Barnabas are, wait a minute, whoa, you can't do this. And so let's read what it says. It says, they, they tore their clothes and ran in among the multitude, crying out. So can you envision this? This whole huge crowd excited. The gods have come down. We're going to worship them. Let's do sacrifice to them. Paul and Barnabas find out, and they run out in the middle of this whole thing saying, wait, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. They're crying out and saying, men, why are you doing these things? We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who made the heaven, the earth, the sea, and all things that are in them, who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. He's saying in the past, God allowed you to, to, to live this way, but now it's time to turn away. All right, so can you envision this? Um, a bunch of rowdy Patriots fans celebrating, excited about something, and then somebody runs in and says, no, no, not the Patriots, the Jets. How well received would that be? And that's a silly thing, isn't it? This is huge. So Paul and Barnes, they run in there boldly saying, wait a minute, no, don't do this. Not only don't do this, you gotta understand, God doesn't want you to do this. God wants you to turn away from these things. These things that you're trying to, that's useless. Man, that's pretty bold in the middle of a group that's all excited about it. Okay, so he, he well, we'll talk about that in a minute, but he did. Verse 17, nevertheless, he did not leave himself without witness, continue to talk about God, and that he did good. He gave us rain from heaven, fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. So he's trying to talk to them about, here's the God that you ought to be worshiping. Verse 18, and with these sayings, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. So they barely stopped them. Verse 19, then Jews from Antioch, and Iconium came there. So they have followed them. The places that they kicked them out of, now they're following him. So they came there and having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. <laughs> I tell you, it's, it's interesting. With my uh, grandchildren, my daughter up in New York and and her five little ones, and every time it's supper time, and when we're there, we get to participate. What they do is they go around and talk. So what were your highs and your lows today? And they'll go around, my high was the grandpa came to visit. <laughs> my low was I didn't want to eat the peas. Uh, whatever, I mean, you know, it's cute, and they talk about their highs and their lows. Okay, Paul, what was your, your high today? My high is we persuaded them not to worship these false gods, you know, because he's not real God. What was your low? They killed me. <laughs> but talk about going for, they worship, they, want, they were worshiping us and now they're killing us. Shows you how fickle the lie is and where it leads to. So they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city supposing him to be dead. He looked dead. Seemed dead, they left him for dead. 
Verse 20, however, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and went into the city. And the next day he departed with, with Barnabas to Derby. Now, what's it say Paul did? First of all, I think that this is a miraculous thing that God did. I think God raised him back up. I don't know if he died or not. It doesn't tell us that he did. And nowhere else in the scripture does it tell us that he died. Uh, but he probably would have died. I mean, these people knew when someone was dead, right? Left him to die. And so God miraculously raises him back up. And I think Paul later on refers to some things that God showed him while he was at this point. But that's not really relevant at this moment. But what I want you to see is he's in this city, this super high, the little lows, the crushing, so much is stoned. I, can you imagine getting stoned? And I don't mean the way some of you have been stoned in your life. I mean stoned with rocks, right? I, I can't imagine that. And that's what happened to him. And somehow or other he sits up. He gets up. Which direction would you go? I'm going away. Or should I walk back in the city and let them pick up where they left off? But what's Paul do? So he got up and he went back into the city. There's some boldness for you. And nothing happened, else happened, so a good thing. And then the next day they left and went on down the road. Our mission requires boldness. And once again, at any point, Paul can quit, he can stop, but he doesn't, he's bold and he continues in the mission. Verse 21. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, so they did the same thing in that city in Derby. Now listen to the, the next words. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. They returned to Lystra. What was his most recent experience in Lystra? Getting stoned. They went back to Lystra. And then they went back to Iconium where he had been kicked out. They went back to Antioch where they had been kicked out and threatened with death. What were they doing? Verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith. So going back and reminding the things that they taught them, maybe teaching them some new things, really trying to get them solid in their faith and saying, it says here, and saying, we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. As we begin to follow God and to, to carry out his mission, what can we expect? Tribulations, problems, troubles, trials, difficulties, hardship. Did Paul know what he was talking about? Yeah. And because that's the case, when we're on a mission from, with God, we can expect the troubles and the trials, the opposition, the problems, our mission requires what? Boldness. It does. It requires boldness. Well, let's remind ourselves of what we're talking about when we say boldness. Um, in the context of Christian boldness in the New Testament, what we're supposed to be doing, it's, it's a couple main ideas here. One is that when we are bold, it means that we say what needs to be said. We say it when it needs to be said and the way it needs to be said. Sometimes that might be quiet. 
and calm, sometimes that might be loud and energetic, whatever, but saying what needs to be said, when it needs to be said, the way it needs to be said, especially when it'd be a lot easier not to. See, that's being bold. And it's not just saying, it's not just speaking, it's also doing what needs to be done, when it needs to be done, the way it needs to be done, even when it would be a lot easier to do something else. So can we see that in, in what Paul's ministry here, Paul Barnes? Absolutely, they're saying and speaking when they need to, the way they need to, and then they're doing what they need to do. And I, I gotta tell you, I can't help but think it would've been a lot easier not to, right? Hey, let's just go back where we started and kind of chill. And they do get to do that eventually. But so that is what boldness is. And our mission requires boldness. So we see um, Paul being bold, Barnabas, his companions, they're being bold and carrying out this mission. And, and so as Christians, we need to be bold too, right? Or do we? You sure? Verse 22, he says, much tribulation coming as we pursue the kingdom of God here. And yet I would say to you, I'm trying to think, I, I can't, I, I've only a very small number of times in my life when I say I've ever been persecuted. I haven't experienced any persecution recently. I've had some people who've disagreed with me, hurt my feelings. Might be a handful of people that don't like me because of what I believe or what I do. But persecution, and my, my guess is that most of you haven't experienced any persecution recently either. And because that's the case, we don't really need boldness. We don't have any sense of needing to be bold. <clears throat> One thing is that we sort of live in a bubble in history and location to where we are at a time when it's really fairly easy if you want to hold Christian beliefs, isn't it? You know, your personal beliefs. You can hold your Christian beliefs and not have a problem with that. You can have your, your morality, your Christian morality, and you live that way and not gonna be a big deal most of the time. You can go attend church with those who think like you do and enjoy it. And, and none of that requires boldness, does it? Really, it does. I mean, I'm not saying we never have, but for the most part, we don't. And yet, I am convinced that this statement is true, that our mission requires boldness. And so if our lives are not requiring Boldness, our lives as Christians, we are finding ourselves not needing to be bold. Where's the disconnect? You see a disconnect? There's a disconnect here somewhere, isn't there? And I think it is this it's the first two words of that statement our mission. Our mission. Are we really on the mission? Let's look at some uh, statements by the Lord uh, about our mission. In Matthew 28, he said, go and make disciples of all the nations. That's us. That means we've got to preach the gospel to them. We've got to teach them. 
okay, of all the nations. That includes your next door neighbor and the guy living on the other side of the world. We need to be doing this. This is our mission. In Mark chapter 16, he says it this way, go into all the world and preach the gospel. And again, preach means to tell, to share. This is not a preacher's job. It's our job thing. It's our mission thing. Luke chapter 24, Jesus said that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations. You catching a common theme here that Jesus is saying about what our mission is? Okay, in John chapter 20, he says, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. This is a going thing, a going out into the world mission. In Acts chapter one, he says, you shall be witnesses to me to the end of the earth. So we need to all of us, it's, it's, this is our mission. And then Paul states it this way in 2 Corinthians. He says, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. And as we're standing and speaking for God, God's talking to you through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We are ambassadors, this is our message. This is our mission. And our mission, and don't go to this next slide yet, but our mission requires boldness. That's our mission. And so if our lives are not requiring boldness, may I boldly suggest that we aren't on our mission. We've kind of slipped away from the mission. God has called all of us, he's called each of us to this mission, every Christian. This is our mission, to, to get out there into the world and, and to help Christ to be known among those people so that they might respond to him, know him, grow in them. Uh, God has called all of us together as a church to this mission, not just me, not just you, but us together to this mission. And boldness will be required of us. In fact, it will be demanded of us if we are faithfully on this mission. Could it be that we don't really need boldness because we really aren't on the mission? So listen carefully. Nothing warrants setting aside the mission. Nothing. So let's think about this a little bit. The kinds of things that sort of take over our lives and they're good things often, more often than not, probably good things. Let me ask you a question. Why do you have a husband or wife or want a husband or wife? Some of you might say, that's a good question. Why do I have a husband or wife? Well, you don't have a husband or wife just so you can have the romance and the companionship and someone to do stuff. You have a husband or wife if you're a Christian because God intends for the two of you to work together on the mission. That's what your lives are about. Working together on the mission. And, and you need to have a good marriage. Why? So you can work together on the mission. You need to love and respect each other. Why? Well, not only so you can have a good marriage, that, but that's, that's not really the point. The point is you need to love and respect each other because that's going to uh, improve the health of your marriage and it's also going to portray to the world around you the relationship between Christ and his church, the Bible says. And, and so that is, a, as a couple, you are together in order 
to work together on the mission. And do you see how we can get wrapped up in life to be in our marriages about us and what we like and what we feel, how we feel about it, we're happy, we're not happy with it, da, 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 da. They tell you, your marriage matters a whole lot more than whether or not you're happy in it. Your marriage matters because God puts you in that relationship to carry out his mission together. Okay, why do you have kids? I know some of you have asked that question. Why do you have kids? Why do you want kids? Well, we have children as Christians. We have children in order to continue carrying on the mission. Because we are to raise up these children to love God and to to know him and to serve him with their lives. And we shoot them like arrows out into the battle on the mission. That's why we have kids. But boy, don't we too often, as it's, 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 it's human beings here, have kids for us? For us to enjoy? And by the way, most of the time kids are really enjoyable, especially when they're grandkids. Um, but kids are fun. Kids are awesome. Kids can drive you nuts. But kids are cool. But if we think it's about the kids... We're not on mission. We're off the mission. And, and, and where do we have authority to get off the mission? Do you have a job? You know? why, why do you have a job? Why do you maybe want a job or you want a new job? What, what's the deal about a job? Well, so I need a job so I can have food and money to eat. Yeah, why do you need food and money to eat? M- money and food, whatever. Why, why do you need that? So you can stay on the mission. See? And it's even bigger than that. If God has given you a job and it's, it's honest work and you do that work and you do that in a way that shows your relationship with God because the character that you bring to that work and the quality that you bring to that work, all of that is a testimony for Christ and gives you an opportunity to have relationships where you can be about the mission. Do you have any passions, things you're passionate about? Passionate maybe about music or about art or about technology or, or baseball or hunting and fish, whatever. Do you have any passions that you just, you know, oh, that's exciting to you? Why do you have that? Bring it to bear on the mission. It's not supposed to be something separate from the mission. Figure out how does this connect to the mission and do something with it. And love it and enjoy it as you carry out the mission with it. Is this sort of making sense to you? That every part of your life needs to be about the mission when it's not and you're just cruising and doing it on its own thing. You don't need Christian boldness. But I guarantee you if you start to on purpose bring all of these things online for the mission, it's going to require boldness. And by the way, let me, let me say this to you. Sometimes your mission assignment is to pay off some debt. Okay, I need to get some debt paid off so I can do this mission. Sometimes your uh, mission assignment may be just getting healthy. You're not healthy. You need to get healthy so you can continue to do the mission. It, sometimes your mission assignment is to mow the lawn. We don't think of it as that, but no, I'm mowing the lawn because God has entrusted to me this. I need to be a good steward of it. And, you know, I want to bring this online for the mission. 
Uh, sometimes your mission assignment is to survive another day. And have you ever been there? Well, all I could do today is survive, but why do I want to survive? Why do I need to survive? It's because I'm on a mission. God has put me on this mission. Put me on the mission with you. Everything is about the mission. We don't have the authority to set the mission aside. We don't have the right to reassign our duties. So what in the world are we thinking when we do that? Do we think we're God? We're Lord and we can make decisions about that? No. So I want to challenge you. Let's commit ourselves anew to the mission. And look at every area of your life and say, wait a minute, am I on mission here? Am I on mission there? And if you can't be on mission there, then it doesn't belong in your life. Okay? And it's going to require you to be bold because questions, when you get serious about this, questions are going to arise. Explanations are going to be needed and you will have to be bold to say so. And, and guess who's going to get unhappy with you? The enemy is going to become unhappy with you as you begin to bring everything in your life online for the mission. And so opposition is going to get stirred up. It's going to come. And at that time, you will be required to be bold. And I know this for a fact because our mission requires boldness. It's just so clear in the scripture. And what hangs in the balance? What hangs in the balance is whether or not certain people will end up in heaven or in hell. That's what hangs in the balance. What hangs in the balance is whether or not somebody's life gets put back together, gets changed in a good way and healing comes to their lives. What, what's, what hangs in the balance is, is whether or not we as a church are able to uh, support missionaries and, and help start churches where there aren't any good ones so that these things can happen. What hangs in the balance is whether or not we ever, listen, whether we ever experience the reality and the power of God at work in our lives. Otherwise, it's just beliefs we have and it never connects. So these things hang in the balance. So give yourself a reason to be bold. Get on the mission. Have a mission focus in life. So will you commit with me today to be on mission? I mean, I can see in my own life places and ways where I've let it slide. <laughs> I can't do that. So let's commit together to be on this mission that God has given us, knowing it will require boldness. Let's pray.